week, we are joined by Aaron Hatchell. He started as a dishwasher at 15 years of age at Kelsey's in Woodstock, Ontario. Having a strong interest in cooking, Aaron eventually worked his way through the kitchen, including running the line when he was just 17. We talk with Aaron about his move to working in front of house, his time spent traveling the world with Disney on ice, and the evolving hospitality industry. Aaron is also queer, and we discuss the positives and negatives with being openly gay in the industry. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip Saunders. I'm your host. With me, as always, Dan Soretta. How are you? Yeah, I'm still doing awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, by the time uh, this uh, podcast airs, I think we might have some open bars and restaurants. Yeah, it'll be a nice change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not mine, maybe, but fuck <laughs> <laughs> me. Um, okay, so uh, we have a great guest for you today. Aaron Hatchell is with us. Uh, I'm going to bring him in in a minute. Uh, just a quick reminder that if you are in the service industry and want to be interviewed for the show, you can DM us at the Industry Podcast. Uh, also, please, if you're liking what we're doing, subscribe, rate, review. That's what helps us out. Get that out of the way. And uh, here's Aaron Hatchell. Aaron, how are you? Good. How are you guys? That's still awesome. <laughs> doing our best. Doing our best. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I said, uh, it seems like, I think by the time this one airs, we'll have some places to go drink again. And uh that's exciting news. Um, Very exciting. The, the open patio situation does not really help people who have uh, subterranean yeah. speakeasies, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> eventually they'll let me open, I'm sure. Um, okay, so uh, you started in the industry pretty young. Uh, according to your bar, 15, you started as a dishwasher, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, when uh, I was 15, uh, I started washing dishes for a little bit and then I've moved my way on up and I was at Kelsey's yeah it was uh Kelsey's in Woodstock okay uh, I grew up oh you grew up in Woodstock okay when yeah. did, you, and did you move when did you move to Kitchener uh I've been in Kitchener for uh maybe three years now okay uh, but like I've worked in Cambridge in the area for the last like five years okay um, so you started pretty young, uh, and you were even, uh, doing some cooking before, by the time you were like 17. Yeah. So I like started at Kelsey's as a dishwasher, did that for a couple of months. And then I showed interest in wanting to cook. I've always wanted to kind of cook and create all my life. Uh, ever since I was like little, I would, I wouldn't watch cartoons. I would sit in front of the TV and I would write all the recipes down. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> Go over with my grandma and kind of like make a little map of a restaurant that I would eventually open, which still hasn't come. But yeah, well, uh, t- no time like the present. <laughs> yeah, <so true. laughs> um, okay, so what do you think? Because uh, I have, I, I not a lot of people make the jump from the kitchen to the front of the house, or or vice versa, for obvious reasons. Um, what what kind of skills do you think uh, you learned during your time in the kitchen that helped you once you finally came out to, to be a bartender? I think like knowing all of the different things that kind of go together in a plate and the presentation of everything, it's pretty much the same in the kitchen as it is kind of on the floor being a bartender. And mm-hmm. it's been really great because now I know even more of like the process that goes into all of the effort that to make a dish. Right. And, so then it's easier to explain to a guest kind of because like before, if you just start as a server and you never kind of have that, you know, cross that threshold 
mm-hmm. between like the kitchen and it depends where you work. I've been lucky. I've worked in a lot of kitchens that have been really open and like kind of want to collaborate between everyone. Yeah. But if you don't, then you don't really, I don't know. You just don't fully grasp the concept of everything that's going behind the scenes. I think that's a good point. And I'll be honest with you. I never did any kitchen work ever. Uh, and I'm pretty shitty at cooking and like, uh, it's definitely affected like when I when I move when I started getting into more like craft cocktailing, I can tell that there are there are bartenders who are just better at it than I am because they have more of a food background. Um, like it's it's really helpful in in like figuring out what flavor profiles work together. Yeah. 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 It's been really nice to just kind of get a base of things and then I've always like like to try and maybe push boundaries or try different weird things. Mm-hmm. And then kind of go that way and see how like that for that transition from the back to the front being able to see the people's faces when they're trying something that Mm -hmm. kind of like changed it for me where it's like okay like that's like the best feeling in the world is to like literally watch someone try something and like have their face light up and try it like that to me is like i love i would work in a kitchen like for sure because i love that type of stuff but like I really like guest interaction too. Like, right. I miss that. And do you, yeah, no, no, we all do. You, um, did, uh, did you figure that out while you were still working in the kitchen? Was it was at some point you were just kind of like, I would really like to try and get up front and then do that instead. When I was first working in the kitchen, I didn't really like have a super desire to work out front. I was working, my sister was also working there. She worked, she was a hostess and an expediter and then became a server. So I kind of got to see like that type of stuff. And then when I saw the difference in money that she was making, yeah, right. <laughs> was, uh, yeah. definitely drawn to that route. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's the big one. That's what gets most people. It's like, and, and a lot of people choose to work in a kitchen because they don't really want to deal with the public. And mm-hmm. that's fine too, right? But uh, yeah. But for people who are like yourself, like a more gregarious person, like uh, good, at, um, good at social interaction, then it's kind of, once you see the money people are making up front, it's kind of hard to resist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then you took a bit of a, a weird... Uh, sidebar here that I didn't even know this about you that you um, were a figure skater yes so talk about that for a little bit yeah like I started figure skating when I was four years old oh, wow. uh, my parents just like put me and my siblings in it just to like learn how to skate basically um, and I did figure skating I did hockey inline hockey uh, and then eventually I had to I just like was skating all the time and you just do the normal route. But then I learned that I was really good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, from probably when I was like 10 years old on, I was skating at least once a day. When I was in high school, it was twice a day, every day, uh, in between like Woodstock and Hespler uh, and skating competitively uh, for probably like eight years um, doing that. And then... I stopped skating, I think when I was like 17, and then I just really wanted to do it again and reached out to my coach and was like, well, you could do like Disney on ice or whatever. And just kind of, we just put in like a video of me skating for like two or three minutes. Um, And then I just got an email saying, great, we'd love to have you next week you're going to Taiwan. 
Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So that's really how it worked. It was like you send in a short video and then next thing uh, you're, you're skating in Taiwan for Disney. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> were, you, were, you, were you a specific character? Um, so I did Finding Nemo first. So okay. I was just like a fish, did that for a couple of months and then switched tours because I was too tall to be in of the really good people because those fish are short. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> So then I did High School Musical for like a year, year and a half. Uh, and I got every week we would fly to a new city, a new country, basically. So That's crazy. So yeah. uh, what, what uh, can you just give us a brief rundown of some of the places that you skated? Uh, so I started in Taiwan and we went kind of all through Southeast Asia, like Thailand, Singapore, Malaysia. We did Australia twice, New Zealand, Whoa. all over South America. Uh, Europe, and then a little bit, not really in Canada and the U.S. There was other tours doing that, but yeah, I've seen oh, a lot. crazy, yeah. Uh, how old were you at this time? When I was 18 to 20. 18 oh, to 20. Wow. So yeah. now, so you're at the age, were you uh, checking out some uh, bars and restaurants while you were on tour, I'm assuming? Yeah, I wish that I had like the mindset now. So then I could take more advantage of uh, right. like uh, going to all the great bars and stuff like that. But even just like being around the different cultures and seeing how everyone interacts is like so crazy how like different, but then hospitality bringing everything it's the same in a way. Mm-hmm. Like the core is always the same in every country that you go to. It's just all the little differences that change right. depending right. on where. So it's like, it was nice because it was familiar when I'm, basically just going away to see crazy countries with no family or anything like just going rogue so yeah yeah for sure (laughs) now out of curiosity how's the money on that can you like make a career on that long term or is it more like short term yeah um a lot of people do it for quite a while um because you can make really good money plus like they pay for you to travel and a lot of them there's promoters that'll pay for like where you're staying. So I stayed in some like insane hotels, like the first six star hotel in Malaysia. I got to stay in and like, it was insane. And we were stuck there for like three weeks. So it was great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Is it a bit of a grind? Yeah. It's hard because like you live out of a suitcase, like you have two suitcases, you have to bring your skates, which weigh a lot. And then your friends kind of, like most of the people I knew were not from Canada or they're from like BC or all over. Like I have people from Russia, like, so yeah. it's hard to change when you change tours, you're not always with the same people. Oh, yeah, yeah. So like, I don't to have like real friends is hard. Right. Yeah. Um, um, but I still talk to quite a few people like from all over and we yeah. always check in. So like, that's really cool too. And then if I go anywhere, like in the States or all over, like, Got to understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's great. great. Um, so uh, when we had, on, on the very first episode, we had uh, the uh, uber-talented Dan Collins on, who was my uh, head bartender GM at Sugar Run, and he did a lot of traveling when he was younger as well. Um, yeah. Different reason. Um, but uh, he, one thing he said that uh, it really helped him with when it came to um, – getting into bartending is the different uh, flavor profiles you're kind of exposed to in all these different places all over the world. Do you find that that has helped you as well? Yeah. I, I think from when I was younger though, that was more influential, like watching all those cooking shows on like the TV. Cause seeing all the different, it wasn't just like, I wasn't just watching like one, it was like all different stuff 
from all different countries, which was kind of, so I kind of had that base already. So I'm not like, I'm not scared to try something like just put it in front of me. I'll eat it. If I like it, I'll tell you I like it. And then tell me what it is after, and then I'll be grossed out after. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, What's going the craziest? to all those places is cool to see all the different flavors and stuff like that. Um, What's the craziest thing you ate? Uh, I don't. I haven't like I haven't eaten a lot of like insane stuff, but just like random like bugs and stuff, right. yeah. or like <laughs> yeah. different like different cuts of a cow or stuff like like cow tongue and stuff like that. But like we do right. that at work too, so it's like. Sure. It's normal to me, but very weird to a lot of people. So when you decided to, um, that you were done with skating, you just had enough and you wanted to come back and just have a little more regular life or? Yeah, I kind of just like stopped doing that. Like my tour was about to end, so we would have to sign a new contract and that was going to be another year. And I really like am invested in schooling and stuff like that. So I wanted an education just to like fall back on just in case. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a very like I am a hyper organized person, and like to have plans, of, like backup plans, and like if something falls through, I I'm fine because of X. Right. So I kind of stopped doing that. I was like, I can't like feasibly like I could make a lot of money doing it, travel the world more, all the things. But I think in two years, I saw an insane amount that most people will never see in their lives, which I'm super grateful for. Yeah. But I just kind of like, I wanted more like a home base more and like to be able to like have real friendships to like be all the time and like be with them and like have relationship and like all that. So, yeah. And did you, um, uh, this is just an aside, but have you found that that experience and all that uh, skating, is it, have you, have you had any physical problems um, as a result of it? Um, yes. I notice now my bones get creaky when it's going to rain. Right. (laughs) You're not supposed to get that to your my age. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I put my body through a lot when I was younger. I was lucky. I never like broke anything or did anything crazy, but like I sprained a thumb once, which was what, like whatever. Yeah. Um, But it seems like, it definitely seems like a sport that would be pretty hard on your body. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You're literally like jumping in the air and falling on your butt. Yeah. all the time every day yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and even, even if you land it it's got to be hard on your knees too right yeah i'm yeah. anticipating a lot of uh, surgeries in the future <laughs> <laughs> oh, i look sounds... forward to hip number five yeah that's right <laughs> it's good to have something good to have dreams to look forward to yeah um, exactly. so you come back and it, it, when you come off tour where do you go to live uh back home with my parents in woodstock okay um and that's when I started. So Kelsey's and Montana's in Woodstock were side by side and owned by the same guy. Oh, okay. Um, so then I said, hey, like I want to be in the front and not in the back anymore. Um, just because like when I'm doing Disney on Ice and stuff, like performing for people and stuff, it's like was great. And to see everyone's reactions is like mm-hmm. the best part of like work. Like if you can like make a product basically and see someone's face. Right. That's and, like great. And Montana's and Kelsey's both sort of uh, corporate chain restaurants. They're kind of like they're very similar in a way, right? Like yeah. they just kind of food for every food for all. Yeah, types, right? yeah. Montana's was like maybe a little more like country. Okay, which is not really up my alley. <laughs> but 
but it was like I worked there for I don't know, like seven years or something on and off through school. So it was right. great. Yeah. And uh, so we've had a lot of people on here have done sort of corporate chain restaurants and then have gone on to do more sort of independent stuff. Um, talk to us a little bit about uh, what what you like what you feel that kind of corporate culture was good for and what were some of the negative aspects of it well the ones that i worked at were kind of weird because they were privately owned they weren't like corporate run okay so it's kind of like a weird mix um, but, but a franchise was, yeah yeah so it was like good and bad i would say but like the owner was always like really involved and like he's the nicest man ever so it was like amazing to work for him at both restaurants and like see him day in and day out, even though he didn't really have to be there. Well, that's um, good because you don't usually get that at those sort of yeah. chain spots. And and I don't know, like I've certainly found in my career that like ownership can make, so, especially in a more independent spot, it makes such a difference in the vibe of a place, like whether people yeah. enjoy coming to work or not. Um, but uh, which is something that, that I try and create as well, but don't you don't always succeed, right? Um, yeah. the, so having a great, like, independent-style ownership there, that's probably what keeps you around for so long. Yeah, they were always, like, super helpful with everything and, like, learning and growing and, like, really flexible with, like, scheduling and stuff like that, too. Like, it was still, like, a normal restaurant. Like, you still had to show up on time and do all, like... right all the normal things but it was just nice to see someone who was like so passionate about their restaurant doing well all the time and not just like in and out like every couple of months right so that was like really cool to see so uh you're probably working on sort of smaller sections but heavy turnover at at a place like that yeah so when i first started i was just serving and it was like you would do like four table section kind of to start off with and then sometimes they, like, depending if you could handle a lot, which I was lucky enough that I could because that means you make more money. So right. sometimes I would have, like, an eight-table section, like, Ooh. in a little mm. area, which was, like, really great. Mm, um, yeah. But so doing that, and then I started learning bartending stuff there as well. So you would have to, like, there's, like, a cocktailer and then an actual bartender, and you would just kind of, like, switch in between and let just take a bunch of tables at the same time, too. So learn that's kind of like where i learned to multitask i think like to the best of my ability because you had to do so much all the time and just be really organized which i really like and i really like stress yeah um so i think that yeah (laughs) that's why like this is like ideal for me because like it's high stress and like but you can't show it which is like the same thing as what Disney on Ice was. Like, you have to do all of these things at, like, at crazy levels when smile to someone. Right, yeah, yeah. And yeah. if you screw up, you still smile. Right, yeah. <laughs> so. Um, and uh, so this is your first real experience making the drinks as well. What kind of cocktails are people drinking at a, at a, at a Montana's? Uh, it was mainly just, like, stuff that they had on the list. Kind of, like, different, like, lemonades and stuff like that. Sangrias. That, like I remember being behind the bar and being confused why there was a bar spoon. I was like, what is this 
four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we weren't like making martinis and like there was right. no mixing glass to go with the bar spoon. So I was like, <laughs> is this like for the cherries to get out of the jar? Or, yeah, like, it's, just, it's just something that you thought that the bar, like a bar seems to like know they need, but they don't yeah. know why they need it. If they're yeah, exactly. not using it for anything. I know I had that same experience actually. A place I worked, I was like, oh, pulled out of the bar spoon. I'm like, what the fuck is this long spoon for? Like, yeah, like this is extreme. <laughs> Why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not seeing anyone else use it. Yeah, so. it's, it's just probably got like some fucking dried maraschino cherry juice yeah. on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. great. And then you get into like a little more crack cocktail bar, and it's like it's like your most valuable tool. But <laughs> yeah, I know. Now I'm like, how how did I not know what that was? And what like what? Thank God people didn't order like Manhattans and like martinis. And it was like wine or like stuff from the list or like a margarita that's frozen which hurts my soul to even say but yeah like all of those type of things it's like yeah it's funny um i i've been doing some like when we've been during the time that we've all been sort of quarantined here i've been doing some sort of online cocktail tutorial tutorials uh, for a couple different uh um uh, a couple different organizations and uh it's it still amazes me how many people like just don't even know the very basics of it, and I get they're yeah. not they're not they're not bartenders. So there's no reason for them to. But it, you know when we're it's so ingrained in us now that like this is what you shake, this is what you stir, yeah. that you're kind of surprised when somebody's like, "Shake me up a martini," you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's a trigger now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know, right? It's like fuck, fuck you, James Bond. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't even tell you the amount of times that I've said like. James Bond Martini has ruined my life yeah. because like it's so stressful to me. Oh man! And the fucking Vesper Martini now that that movie came out, like yeah, what, that, that drinks a piece of shit. Like <laughs> uh, I don't, I'm partial to I. If it's made right with the right gin and stuff, then I'm I will drink it. Oh uh, yeah, I can't sure. I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, yeah. Okay, so uh, we didn't. We just like veered off there, but uh, the. So you're what kind of a, like what kind of customers are you serving in Montana's as well? Like, uh, I know eventually you end up at Langdon Hall, so you're that's obviously going to be a completely different type of customer base. Yeah, very different. Um, most of our stuff because like it was in Woodstock, the Montana's, so like it was smaller cities, so we had like a lot of just like I don't know normal blue collar people working. There was a bunch of hotels and stuff across the street too. So we had like a lot of like people from like Hydro One and stuff like that, like all different kinds of companies that would just stay there, come over. There was also a really big, in every September, there was like a farm show just outside oh, of Woodstock. Like and like, yeah, Glenn, Glenn Smith, who yeah. uh, he used to oh, run, yeah. run the um, run the beer bins at the, those farm shows. Uh, we would like prep, like in your mind mentally, because you're just going to get like, killed for that entire week because like it was like steak and ribs and stuff like that which like a lot of farmers really right. like especially if they're coming to something and maybe their company is like paying for it so it's like that week every september i think it was like the second week or something in september it was just like just get ready for all hell to break loose basically which I mean, was great for money but great for money but just a totally yeah. different type of customer too right yeah I, um, yeah I, it's funny you say that. I was when I was working at the uh, Rich Uncle, which is a bar in downtown Kitchener, and they it's very close to the center in the square, which is where um, 
when they have concerts and uh, symphonies and what have you, right? Uh, and uh, so people, but the, the menu is like a high, a slightly higher end of Rich Uncle, but yeah, we, I remember working in there one day and we're just getting, like, we just got polluted with people on like a Sunday dinner for no reason one time. And everybody's just like, pint of lager burger pint of lager burger yeah. i'm like what the fuck this is not our customer base like what is happening yeah, you're like, this is not and a- the guys in the kitchen are like what is going on here are we working at mcdonald's and yeah. i'm like i don't know and then so i brought up the center square uh, uh website and i was like what is going on at center square tonight it's like it was like a hair band cover band <laughs> i was like oh yeah this, this makes sense now yeah, that explains <laughs> yeah. yeah it's funny how that works though um yeah Okay, so uh, and what do you do? You feel like working? Obviously, you worked there for a long time, so you must have liked it well enough. You're also going to school, uh, so they're obviously working around your school schedule, which is nice. Yeah. Um, and I know you mentioned that it really taught you about how to organize your time. And those we talked about this a lot on the show about how those sort of chain type restaurants, because there's like a set way to do things at them, that they really do help you with how to do your steps of service and to, to the point where it's not even, it's like second nature to you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like even like from just working in the kitchen, like all the prep stuff and to see how you can organize things like more efficiently and make a salad faster or a pizza fast, like all these little minute steps that you take before, like the actual service is so important because if you're not prepped and ready, then it takes so much longer and then yeah. people get pissed off and all the things. So it's like learning all of those things and steps of service were like ingrained in me for so long. And I'm like the type of person that will be like, okay, that was really great. I learned that. Now let me show you. I'm going to do it better. Right. Yeah. So, like that's how my brain works. Like to just. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the prep work too, because it's uh I, I I really do feel like the average guest who comes in has no clue what goes yeah, into what we do, right? No. Like there's so much, and it's it really just you're doing it to save yourself time. Like that's yeah. that's the goal because ideally you're going to get busy at some point. You don't want to have to think about that shit, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Um, but like when when customers are tipping the, and when they see the price of a drink or whatever, they there's like you often get a reaction it's like, oh, fucking. $18 for a cocktail or whatever, yeah. but not realizing how much labor has gone into making that drink, yeah. not just when you ordered it, but before you even showed up, right? Yeah. 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 To me, I'm like, $18 drink, you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Like, if you saw all the steps that go into all of those things, it's like, you're yeah. welcome. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, do you get any fucking deal? Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Uh, this is just a bit of an aside, but I was talking about this uh, off air with a friend the other day about talking about um, <sighs> revamping the possible revamping that's going to happen with the service industry yeah. after what we're going through now. Um, one of the things that's coming up a lot, I find, is the notion of dropping the whole tip culture and paying people more to work. Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's hard because there's so many different places that are all around all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's like going, like if you were at Kelsey's and Montana's to like where I am now at Langton Hall, it's quite like a drastic jump. Mm-hmm. 
so like I don't know what that would look like because like the amount of work that I put in now is like and prep work and all that type of stuff is so drastically different than what I have done in the past and what it's hard to separate those things. That's where I think it's great for like tipping and stuff like that. Don't get me wrong. I love like a higher minimum wage. Sure. I think, and like, I think we've gone in a really great direction and hopefully it keeps going like that. Mm. But I don't know. Well, I think there's a couple things like, first of all, the customers will just have to realize that that cost is then being transferred to them because if all bar owners, restaurant yeah, exactly. owners have to pay people more, like yeah. we still have to make a living. Uh, and the second part of it that worries, concerns me about it, and, and I, I find that already if you're working in a higher end spot, customers are already a little wary about pricing, right? So yeah. if, you, if you then have to jack the prices even more on them. Now, you can explain it in the fact that, like, well, but now you don't have to tip, so you probably would have paid the same amount, but that yeah. that doesn't always transfer. And the other thing that I'm a little concerned about, too, is it's sort of human nature that if you're working for in a performance-based model um, for your money, then you, you tend to do a better job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As opposed to, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it would have to be so different because it would then turn into like other jobs. Like right now, like for someone to get a serving job, well, right now is a weird time, but before like anyone off the street could almost get a serving job at certain places. Right. But if you're paid more an hour and stuff, then it's, then you're going to be like, okay, well, who's qualified for this and this and this. Mm-hmm. And like that's where it, becomes like weird and mer- like i've been given a lot of opportunities luckily that people have just kind of like taken a chance on me and i think that it's paid off yeah. but to, like i know in my mind like now hiring and like dealing with that type of stuff like i don't know what i would do with resumes like they look very different if you're like what are you looking for right uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just like I, I even remember when I was younger and like just a fucking asshole, honestly. Like the, <laughs> I was working at a bar, and I was like, if there was a certain guest that was not tipping well, I would take my sweet fucking time getting to yeah. them or whatever. Oh, yeah. Like, I, like I don't do that anymore. But like, yeah. yeah. But now, so if you're raising the wage and there's no tip at all, that that's really lowers yeah. the incentive for. That's, yeah. To me, that's scary because then you have those people who just kind of like rely on things and they're like, well, I have this job. So as long as I don't like screw up too much, then I'm not going to get fired. Right. But then the public is bad. Yes. Because like you're just like all your guests are getting shit service. Right. So like then it becomes unenjoyable and it's like, why am I going? Like a lot of people go out for that like special experience some people don't want to be talked to other people like want to connect with their server or bartender or like Mm -hmm. have that different interaction because it is different and unique and every place you go and every single night it can be different right and i think we're going to find that that's going to be even more the scenario now because people have less uh, disposable income yeah uh, and they're going to be starved for that but they're still starved for that interaction the social interaction of going out to a bar or a restaurant so the people who are going out are really going to want that extra experience i think yeah i uh, think so too 
Yeah, I think we're all gonna have to up our game a little bit, man. Like, I know. It's, yeah. That's what to me. That's what like a good thing that can come out of this. Yeah, it's like okay, everyone has to kind of like step your game up and actually like stop like relaxing and relying on things. Let's right. really just kind of the people who are passionate. You'll be able to tell. Yes, and which is great. And like, have we'll have to be more patient, and we're gonna have to. Yeah. We're gonna have to like really like if we should all be doing this anyway but like yeah leave your moods at home and like come in yeah. ready to fucking provide a special experience for someone coming yeah by performance yeah well it is that's what it's going to be like and that's why interestingly what you did with disney on ice kind of did was probably good training for you to do this job that you do now because yeah. what we do is you know in many ways a performance right yeah that i feel like my whole life has geared up for <laughs> this in a weird way like it's not what i went to school for or anything but i just love hospitality and like literally when i leave work some weeks i'm just like emotionally drained which Mm -hmm. people often talk about they just think oh you're a server you don't think two things what like whatever but like the interactions that a good server or bartender can have with someone makes the world of difference but that's also taxing on that person because you kind of like get invested in these people, but then they just leave. I'm glad that you brought that up. We have not talked about this on that, about that on this show yet. Uh, and, and it's really true. Like, especially um, we tend to stack our work week. Like, so you're working like say Wednesday to Saturday night, like boom, 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 boom. And it's yeah. all the different social interaction you have to deal with. Some people you love, some people you can't fucking stand, but you still got to give the same um, yeah. t- type of performance and it can be like i i know like by the end of my work week i'm fucking dead i don't want to talk to anyone right? yeah yeah when i come home from like any shift i'm like give me like a glass of wine or a drink put on the tv don't talk to, like i don't want to like talk because literally my job is to interact and talk and show all these emotions and do these things but then also work in a crazy high stress environment and put on a smile for you yeah it's yeah people it's it's not it's not an easy gig it really isn't it, uh, the emotional draining um quality of it is something we hadn't really talked about so i am glad that you brought that up like i i my wife knows when i get home on like sunday i'm not doing shit except lying yeah. on the couch and 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 my wife's in the industry too but she's a mennonite so she's she can't sit down but uh, <laughs> it's ex-mennonite i should say but for me like she knows like my my brain's just shut off. I'm out. Like, yeah. I'm not doing fuck all. Like, yeah, it's like Sunday night. What's for dinner? Uh, whatever you want to order. Or yeah. Like, yeah, is there something left? Out? Like, whatever. I'm like, I don't want to do anything. No, I know. It's really. Uh, it's it's funny now that um, uh, during this uh, quarantine era, where it's like you got all this energy to cook and like, yeah, do all <laughs> the things you want to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, the, my family should get used to it now. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, you did, uh, you did, um, what, sorry, what university did you go to? Uh, university of Toronto. University of Toronto. In your bio, I think it, uh, you got autocorrected to University of Ontario. I'm like, I'm not aware of this University of Ontario. <laughs> 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 uh, okay, so, so you went to U of T, you did criminology, you did environmental geography. Those are some interesting topics that have nothing to do yeah. with what we do. Uh, so you're all, so then... When, uh, is it after you finish school that you 
moved into working at Langdon Hall or were you still at Montana's a little bit after you graduated? I was still at Montana's for like, I think eight months or so. Like I came back, my last year of university, I lived in Woodstock and put all my classes into two days and would drive to Toronto for like two 12 hour days. And then mm. I would work five days a week in Woodstock. Um, yeah. yeah, it was intense, but I like stress. So it's fine. Right. <laughs> um, so I did that. And then after about eight months of that, I was just kind of like, okay, I was basically asked to start managing and stuff like that at Montana's. And that's not where I saw my life staying. Mm. So I didn't want to take that type of job and like live that life basically. So I started looking for something else. To be honest, I don't even remember applying to Langdon Hall, but I know that I like, was applying to places and like stuff for I was applying to jobs for like university and stuff like that more so mm -hmm. like to do, would like deal with my degrees and stuff like that because like I wanted to do kind of like environmental policy regulation uh that type of stuff sustainability so I think maybe that's where it came up the mm -hmm. posting something about sustainability being like one of those trigger words or something like that oh right yeah I just got a call and they like offered me an interview and I was like, I don't even know what this place is. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, but then I Googled it and I was like, Oh, okay. That's really fancy. Like <laughs> I was working at Montana's in Woodstock. Yeah. And then I went in for my interview and I was like, Oh yeah, this is really, like, there's a 0% chance I'm getting a job here. Right. Like this, the, the difference between Montana's serving and like, fine dining like one of the best restaurants in the country is like yeah very different so i thought no way was i gonna get that job right but then i got the job right uh and so yeah you got you got hired as a bartender uh yeah, yeah. so i started in november which if anyone knows langdon hall november end of november december is like crazy crazy time like right? yeah. christmas there is like insane it's so mm -hmm. busy so starting then was not ideal right yeah. <laughs> like, it yeah. just kind of like just thrown by the fire yeah yeah, yeah. So, um, and is this around the same time that you're starting to get really into because I, I do want to talk a lot about this with you because you've done a lot um you know, when you really got into like crafting cocktails no okay so when i first started langdon hall i started there and like one of the managers there was so great. He's like, just so you know, like, you're not going to feel any type of comfortable until you've worked here for six months. Right. And I was like, oh, okay. Huh. Like, I learned really quickly. Like, I'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. Literally, after I had worked there for six months, I the change that I noticed was, like, drastic. Oh, wow. And I, I literally remember being like, oh, my God, you're so right. Like, that's great. And, like, I had not had to, like, craft cocktails. Like, the menu when I started at Langdon Hall, like, the menu wasn't huge, but they weren't drinks that I was used to making at Montana's. So like that was new and like, it was, I think exciting, but like there was other people behind the bar before me. So I was basically just like serving when I first started there and I had never served fine dining. So that was a large jump. And I was like, what is this tray you're asking me to hold? Right. <laughs> so I was like, literally like the first year of working there, I was like, oh, I would get like back pain. And I'm like, why is my back hurting? I'm like, oh, because I was holding a tray all day. Yeah. 
which is like so stupid to even think about. Like a tray in your hand will cause you back pain. Yeah, I know. It's funny. That's true, though, right? Like, and plus, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Um, You're just like not using those muscles, which like my body has always just relied on muscle memory from skating and all that. Like all these things have just been easy to me. And then I'm like, what is going on? Why am I in pain? I'm just serving. I know. Like I worked at, when I was working at Ethel's, we would just like literally like, if you had three pints of beer to bring, you just smash them together in your hands and walk them over to the table. And then at the end, you like claw the, yeah, claw the dirty cuts to the table. And now like, I just like die a little bit inside every time I go somewhere. Cause I'm like all the minute details that I've learned now, I'm like, this is, I get stressed out. Yeah, it's quite an eye opener to the the jump in service level. And and we talked a lot about it on the show, but like once you've done fine dining, you like that just those, oh, it just stays with you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Every little thing, like the little marks on the glassware where it says like the brand of it that you can't really see, but if I notice if it's not pointing towards me now, like I'm like right. all these like little things are like if stuff's placed weird on the table, I'm like why is that like that? Yeah, yeah. Like, why aren't you just doing this right? <laughs> exactly. It's like, stop. Uh, so, so when is it that you start to get the the cocktailing bug? Probably a year and a half of working into that, because I was like, okay, I finally was like comfortable serving and like learning how to make drinks and being like, okay, these classic cocktails you should definitely know, uh, like. Our clientele is was more older then and has kind of integrated into a medley of ages now. But to learn all of those things, then I was like, okay, maybe I should actually take this job seriously and like learn, like just do some research. So I don't like to not have the answers to things. Right. <laughs> and there I did not have a lot of the answers to like specific cocktail related questions that was like i didn't know like a bunch of classic like there's so many cocktails out there and when someone's like can i have this i'm like uh yes because you don't say no right and then i was like okay now i have to go figure out how to make that right. or if that's even a thing or if they just said they got it at the place down the road which it was named that and it's not an actual drink. Right, right. And so, at, least, at least now we have uh, Google on our phones. But yeah. Like, back God. in the day, man, when that shit used to happen, it was so embarrassing. Because, like, as a bartender, yeah. you're supposed to know it all, right? But, like, yeah, it's like people fucking make up names for cocktails. Or it's like somebody yeah. somebody made me this last time I was here and whatever. Yeah. Right? Like, cool. Yeah. Now, like, because of that, and, like, internet goes down, all the things. And it's not great to see your bartender behind the bar on their phone. No. I like literally made a cue card list of every single classic cocktail I can think, like it took me like eight hours to make. Cause I was like, okay, I'm going to write every single thing down that everyone can make it the same way for like exactly here. But then it changes like from the place that you go to too. So it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's a lot. And the new thing too, is do you find that you're getting a lot of people who are just like, they like your cocktail list that you created, like that you spent all this time creating, crafting a list and, but they don't want anything on the list. They want something special yeah. just for them. And it's yeah. like, and then they'll like throw random ingredients at you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, 
or not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fucking crazy. And like, you try to make it work. I see it happens to Dan and Sugar Run all the time. Of people be like, I want something that's, uh, I don't know, like um, salty and leathery and fruity. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> so you want three different drinks? Yeah. So, like, yeah. No. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But it's like. Yeah, I find it, I know he gets frustrated and I and like I get frustrated too because it's just like we spent all this time, or in the in the case of Sugar Run Dan did, um crafting this beautiful list. You've never been to the bar before. Why wouldn't you yeah. give it a shot before no but no, you gotta have something special. Yeah. <laughs> no, that happens all the time. But that's to me now, like having done it for a while, I like those moments because I'm like okay, listen, this is not, like, that's not a realistic thing for you to ask for. So like, tell me like a drink that you've had before or something and why you've liked that. Or like, you just kind of make them change their words. Right. You like, yeah. kind of gear them into something like, oh, well, like, that's what this is kind of like on the cocktail menu or we can make something different for you. Right, right. And, um, yeah. Okay, so I do want to talk about um, all of the... Comp- like the competitive bartending you've done. Um, can you just give us a, a, like a, just to avoid me doing it, can you, can you give <laughs> us like a rundown of all the, the award, like the competitions you've sort of been in, how you got into it? Um, uh, yeah. 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 So basically, like after working there for a year and a half, I like kind of invested myself in a way where I'd like, buy cocktail books i was on youtube all the time like watching crazy bartenders that like on youtube that i didn't really know were so great like now knowing what i was watching i'm like oh my god like it's great like charlotte Voisey, she's from the uk and like i that was like my go-to person like she was making classics all the time on youtube showing you how to like do different riffs and stuff like that and that's when like i got super interested into it and then langdon hall was like a little bit weird because for me like looking at the clientele i'm like oh i don't know like how much can you push a boundary with them but then Mm. every cocktail menu that i made i just kind of tried to play with how far I could take things in a way. Just sort of inching it forward every time. Yeah. yeah. And like, I never really got a negative response after like, like I would make drinks that were like black or like have edible glitter or crazy foams and like make bubbles with like using different extracts and like powders and like stuff like that. And like for people to see those type of things was like, that clientele I never thought would appreciate those things and they really do. So it's, for me, that was a learning lesson in a way. Have you found sort of like, sometimes our, we've just been doing it for so long, we feel like we can read the room so quickly, like that you kind of like almost stereotype people. And then like, it's it's a good lesson for us to figure out that like, if you just give your guests a chance to be creative at the same time, that they'll probably pick it. That's what I like about Langdon Hall because we do have a lot of like guest interaction and we're not like trying to flip tables and stuff like that. So it's like, okay, like you want to drink, like tell me what you actually want. Like, let's make this for you or what, like do whatever. And so I started doing those type of things. And then I also started my Instagram account, changed it from like personal into like 
now it's just cocktails and like there's so many it's crazy to me to even think about right but that was also a weird transition because then people would come in from my instagram and be like i want this oh wow that's, that must have been like, crazy yeah it was cool but to other bartenders and i'm like uh, i didn't make that here i made that at home oh so i see like, yeah they can't actually make that for you, but we can make something similar. So like, that was also a weird transition. Mm-hmm. So learning how to work that and then only posting stuff that I could make at Langdon Hall and tagging that was like right. a weird thing. And then getting into like the competitions and stuff, like that was... Yeah, can you... Uh, so just to, for people who don't know who might be listening, what, like explain what the competitions are all about. Um, yeah. I know you've done a few, quite a few different... I'm sure they're all slightly different, I know, but like there's probably some similar elements to all of them. Yeah, so a lot of them, you just kind of like... They're kind of like open season is like in January and in the fall, basically. Uh, so you have to like... Most of them you have to apply to do. So you come up with like they have so many rules and restrictions, which like that's half the battle because they're so extremely detailed in all of those little elements. Like that's probably the most important part of entering any competition is read the instructions literally like 10 times because if you put your ounces in ounces and it was supposed to be in milliliters, you just get disqualified. Even if you have like the best drink in the world, you just get automatically disqualified because you didn't do like x y and z or it can only contain so much alcohol so a lot of them you just kind of like apply with a drink based on whatever said brand right yeah and and so that's that's an important distinction most of them are run by liquor brands Um, yeah so it's like bacardi has a competition or bacardi patron yeah uh, world class of diageo uh, right. like all that type of stuff there's so many of them so the main uh, the main thing is you got it for your for your main ingredient it has to be that specific liquor like that's the key yeah and then yeah. you kind of you kind of have creativity after that yeah some of them are hard though like the world-class one that i did a couple of years ago is it could only be five ingredients it had to obviously have the base product in uh and it, you had to be able to get at any store like any grocery store in canada Oh, and you, really? couldn't, you couldn't make anything like you can't make like a simple syrup or, or like a foam stuff or like, a, yeah so oh. it has to just be like stuff you can get Sounds which like was cool because that's like when you get comfortable at work making certain things and then it's like okay now throw all that out the window you have to do this now that's crazy that's almost like craft cocktailing with one arm tied behind your back man like yeah that's, yeah that's and that's, just, that's like just the getting in yeah part so then all those people apply and then you have to go through that and then you have to do each like step it depends like which competition it is but a lot of them have like regional rounds and then it will go to like a national round and then if they do do like a global competition a lot of them will do that but it's like only the top one person will go from that which is create like the world-class competition to me was like one of the craziest ones because it was like we it was first split into half of Canada like east and west and you have to do certain drinks but you're just given like a template like okay three drinks one was like past present and then show us a future drink using Uh. whatever brand and but then you only have six minutes to make all three 
and tie them into a story basically together. Oh, that's kind of cool, actually. Yeah, <laughs> but it was difficult. Really cool. yeah. <laughs> it was hard though to make. Food. Yeah, the first time I did it, I didn't get the last drink out in time. Oh, really? So, well, six minutes like, isn't a lot of time. It? Yeah, they're like, "Can we try it?" And then they're like, "No, you can't try it because the time's up." Oh, so fuck. that was like annoying. But after doing that, and then that was only like one part of that competition because then they wanted to do like two ready to drink cocktails so they were basically like you had to have cocktails that were pre-made but you can't just have like a pre-made cocktail in a bottle because it's world class so you had to like go the extra mile so for that competition i just i kind of wanted to transport them into coming to my house around christmas and then so they, I sprayed like Bath and Body Works Christmas spray in the air. So it immediately takes you back to that. And then the first drink I served in a snow globe. So oh, I had wow. like, edible glitter in it and it was pre-made for you like on your table with, I had at work, they made like little snacks for me to go with it, like each cocktail. And then the second cocktail was served in like a Christmas ball. And then you heated it up in like a coffee siphon. It was, oh, it was extreme. And you only had eight minutes and like to do all of these things and explain it and tie it to a story. And you have to talk about the brands all the time and to learn about that's also another thing that I love about the industry is that every single bottle of alcohol has so many rules, regulations, laws, restrictions, Yes, and then their own history. So it's like rum, rum has its history, but then every single like bottling has every distillery has their own story and yeah yeah yeah. it's it's pretty fascinating when you get into it but it's quite a fucking rabbit hole too like (laughs) yeah Uh, and and like i feel like i forgot because i i started as a as sort of a specialty in whiskey and i feel like i've already for and then i opened this rum bar and i feel like i've already forgotten as so much about whiskey that because I had to cram some rum knowledge yeah. into my brain, you know, like yeah. you need refresher courses. Yeah, it's crazy to have to do all that. And then like at Langdon Hall too, we have like our wine program is insane. Right. So have to learn about all of that. Like we were serving not great wine at Montana's and Kelsey's. <laughs> That's wow. a shocking, shocking story. One to tell. Not in like situations. Uh, so then going from like that list of like five whites and five reds to oh here's your book and we have like eighteen thousand different bottles it's like drastic so to have to like kind of pull up on that knowledge and stuff too was daunting but exciting because then it's like to me i don't if i get bored in a job or anything that's when i know i need to like move on and like this industry is great because there's so much to like i still feel like i know like the littlest baby fingernail basically of like yeah yeah well i've been doing it for fucking 30 years and i still don't know shit like like, you know what i mean which is like scary but like the best thing because then you can always learn yeah and if you're the type of personality that's not just in this for the money like we've made this our career and we're just trying like the the knowledge is what's exciting about it so it's a reason to keep going right you can always learn more you can always learn more and i mean life should be like that in general but like specifically in our industry there's so yeah. much knowledge if you're willing to to if you're um, willing to put in the work and yeah do all the yeah and, and embrace yeah. it right yeah yeah uh okay so uh, uh, going back to the cocktail competitions really quickly um you obviously did very well in several of them um you tell me do you have like a favorite cocktail that you made of any of those um uh, 
I don't have like a specific cocktail, but I do like that world-class competition literally just was like, I find like a pivot in my like life and career just because the stakes, not that they were so high, but like all of those people that I watched on YouTube and like looked up to and all this stuff, I was now coming like face to face with and like mm-hmm. to be able to meet like Lauren Boat and like all different kinds of people from like all over that I like looked up to and basically they were like a celebrity of a person that I never thought in my life that I would like meet was like so crazy like that's stressful in itself Mm -hmm. Uh, but then you have to still do the competitions and go through all of the crazy stuff it's I don't like I really liked that and making those ready to make cocktails which I never thought in my life I would want a pre-made drink but to have to do it in a creative way to blow people's minds basically was really cool yeah that's well what you did there was crazy creative that's pretty dope man congratulations yeah. that's awesome um do you have a favorite um classic cocktail uh i love old fashions and negronis mm-hmm. uh, yeah those that's like my favorites and like that's my go-to like if i go somewhere i'm like a little bit weary maybe i'll be like okay i'll order an old-fashioned if it's good i'll get a cocktail yeah i, I call those yeah. the test the tester cocktails right like you go yeah. to a bar and you're like okay is this bar for real or not like for yeah. me it's, it's manhattan like if somebody yeah. can make manhattan properly then i'm like okay I'll, then, then i'll branch out trust you. yeah yeah exactly yeah you yeah. need those you need those yeah it's not panned out great yeah <laughs> yeah exactly it's like you get there's some, like, i've gotten some shitty manhattans and i'm just like show me the beer list like you know yeah, what I mean? no, yeah like okay, <laughs> yeah. so what bottle of wine can i get because yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah um okay look i'm not that good at this role yet so i have no proper segue skills so i'm just gonna <laughs> fly right into another form of conversation with a topic yeah. of conversation with you you're a gay man yeah um, can we talk a little bit about that um, with in your experience in the industry? Like, has it been like any positives, negatives, challenges? Uh, all of the above. Uh-huh. It's been, like, I feel like I've been lucky because it's weird growing up like in a small town and you would think that I would have been like crazy bullied or like, especially like a male figure skater. Right. And like that, I was known for that, like in yeah. the paper all the time in Woodstock, and like, yeah, I bet. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, and then, but like, I wasn't really out, but I never, like, in, I never have come out ever, which seems weird to some people, but I'm like, I like don't care because, like, my sisters and my other brother, like, they were never like, hey, like, I'm heterosexual, do you accept me? Oh, right, yeah, <laughs> so that's, like, good, that's a good point. Yeah. I'm like, why am I like. I'm still the same person, the same me, and, like, all of those things. So I never felt the need to do that. Right. It was just, like, my mom one day was, like, so, like, this guy, are you, like, dating? Or, like, and I was, like, yep. And, like, that was it. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like, I've been really lucky, like, with my family and, like, grandparents and everything. Like, I've been so accepting that way. And, like, so in my mind, I just kind of pushed through all that and, like, work stuff like working disney on ice obviously was easy to be gay (laughs) 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, but then, so when you get in the industry, like, have you, let's talk a little bit about, um, do, have you felt any sort of discrimination, any harassment? Uh, I haven't, like, like, I've seen some stuff, like, working in Woodstock, like, at Montana's and stuff like that, you could see, like, groups of guys, like, and I know that they would be talking about me and stuff, but, like, like cust customers or co-workers? Yeah, yeah. Not co-workers. Oh. Everyone, like, I don't, I'm pretty likable, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I like people, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> most people, like, I get along with them. Like, that's kind of been my life is to always, like, be funny or, like, do better than everyone else, basically. Mm -hmm. Because, like, that's always been in the back of my mind. I'm like, I don't want them to fall back and be like, oh, well, he's, like, not good at this because he's gay. Or right. not... At, which like people do and I've seen other people do that to other people and try and stand up for them and be like well like let's look at this in like a different light or situation like you don't know what's going on with them mm. but so sometimes like at that you would see a little discrimination but I just kind of push it to the side and then like now where I work now like with older clientele and stuff it's always like a little bit iffy like it's a different generation of people a lot of yes. the time but I've just been really lucky to like have good guests. And if I don't, like I can tell like real easy if you're homophobic or like are showing any signs of disinterest and I give real good bitch face <laughs> and you will like, and you'll stay away from me. And like, I, like it's no, we, you are not interested in anything that's going on because of whatever you have grown up with or whatever your shit is. So I'm like, I'm putting out some pretty dope shit so you can pick it up or roll out basically. Right. Well, yeah. That's like, I don't, I try not to get like down in any negative stuff. I try and only look at positive things because a lot of the negative stuff is a waste, but you got to take, it's like yin and yang. You got to do a little mix of both. And what about like, um, I mean, with anyone who's worked in this industry who knows what I'm talking about, there's like the the insular part of it is like the party and um, incestuous scene that the industry can be behind the scenes between coworkers. Yeah. Um, how is that uh, coming from uh, like a, coming from your perspective as a gay man? Like, is yeah, yeah. Uh, I never had like I never got into any of that. Because, like, when I was growing up and working, like, at Kelsey's and Montana's and stuff, I was still, I was either working all the time, skating all the time, or in school all the time. So I never had any time to do anything. Right. Or anyone. With, like, it's a double-edged sword. <laughs> like, yeah. it sucked-ish, but, like, it was great. And I got to travel the world and all these things. But, and then, like, working now, like, I don't know. I just, I've never been someone who, like, parties. I've never, like, gotten into drugs or, like, anything like that. I just... I don't want to sound like a prude, but I'm a prude who likes to drink. You know, you know what you sound like to me. You sound like a the smart person I should have been when I was your age. But <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah you, like you, otherwise, you would look like this. <laughs> oh, it's coming. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so I mean, well, that's good then. Like, it's good to know that. The, I mean, I'm sure your obviously your experiences and everyone's experiences a gay yeah. man in the industry, but like. I, I I mean, there's so much, at least in the era I grew up in in the industry, there was so much sexual innuendo. And yeah. Oh, there's still, like everywhere you work and go, like yeah. it's 
it's still the same that way. And like, I've just been lucky when like, I've generally worked with a lot of females who I interact with well, mm. like, I don't know, they, we both get along with each other well, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I've not, and if there's ever any type of, especially at work, like if I can see someone's like, maybe like a little bit, not homophobic, but like, I don't, they have questions or stuff like that. Then I like, I like to still like, I'll push the boundaries and be like, okay, like I'm going to teach you right. like this, but you can also teach me something too. Like I'm not like close-minded, but I know that like my, like I have been extremely lucky in that way because I know so many other like queer people that have been in drastically different situations mm-hmm. that, and like, especially in the past have like had to really push through a lot of things. So that's why I don't want to like not, talk about it kind of you know what i mean like you still have to like i still have struggled in like every interview i've ever been in and oh should i cross my legs or will that make me look too gay or like this all those things go through your mind like that a lot of people take for granted that they just don't think about Uh but you think about like oh who's gonna interview me is it gonna be a man or a woman is it gonna be like super straight and like not accepting of me or is it gonna be like a girl who like loves that I'm gay, which I also don't love because I'm like, that's not like my defining feature. No, it's, it's, like, it's not going to, it's not going to make you better or worse at your bartending yeah, job, right? So, exactly. so like, yeah. You have to think about that in like an interview process or like a day-to-day like service. Right. It's like, so quick, like every table I go up to, I have to like basically assess if they're going to like me or not because right. I do too, I, but it's only because I'm a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i could, i'm sure i could be classified as that on occasion yeah. <laughs> um yeah here's an interesting uh, only because dan and i were actually just literally talking about this right before we came uh, to our conversation with you um what what are your thoughts about the whole uh notion of like gay bars and gay clubs like it seems like some cities, maybe with a larger population, can easily get them going. We, we were discussing yeah. specifically why Kishner can't seem to get one going. Is this something that's even necessary anymore? Like, I mean, I would like it because not only for me, but like for a lot of younger people, it's a safe space. Okay. And like a lot of people lack that. And then sometimes you'll go to Toronto and like get caught up in whatever. Like, I don't know. I never had time to get caught up in that. Right. But like other people, like, I don't know, like, it's a culture of people who, in Toronto, it's so, like, normal. Mm-hmm. And then going an hour, hour and a half out of the city, it's like, there's none of that. Well, I, 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 I've, yeah, I've really found it interesting. There have been a couple that have tried to make a go of it here in Kitchener-Waterloo, and they just never seem to last. Yeah. And I can't really figure out why. There's plenty of gay people who live in Kitchener-Waterloo. Like, Yeah, I don't understand. Maybe, like... Maybe it has nothing to do with the fact that it's a gay. Maybe it's just the shitty bar. Their business plan wasn't great. Yeah. <laughs> or like what I don't like. I have never been to one around here. I went like because living in Woodstock, I would go to London, and they would, and they still have like gay bars and stuff like that. So to me, like if London can do it, why can't Kitchener Waterloo? Because to me, that's very like comparable. Like yeah. London I, might be even be more like yeah. Like it's a, it's a little bit doofier. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. But there was like a bunch, like when mm. I was growing up, and like, yeah. which was great to kind of have that. And like, I don't know, if you can't go somewhere where you're self seeing other people like yourself, 
it can like really like screw with your head. Like mm. I've been lucky because of skating and stuff like that and traveling the world. And everyone's been accepting, but like other people who have been through shit, like it can like screw with you for like life. Right. Just because like you don't have those people around you that are like positive and supportive and because they're just not there. Like there's no space for you to go. Right. Huh. So like, that. but like eventually I don't want there to be like, a, you have to have that. So like, it's like a weird. Yeah. I see what your point is kind of like, it would be nice for you to have that space to go to now, but ideally we get to a space where things like it that, are, it just doesn't yeah. be necessary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, okay, I do want to get to talking about um, your your current um, endeavor. Uh, this is called, let me just make sure I don't fuck up the name, A&M Hospitality? Yeah. Okay, talk to us a little bit about this. And we do have your business partner coming on in the future as well, so we'll get her perspective as well. Um, but talk to us a little bit about what you guys are doing. Yeah, so we just started talking about things because we've both been in the industry for a long period of time, I guess, you know, yeah. And then we just came together and was like, let's like start something eventually, like maybe get into consulting. Obviously right now is not the best time to be a bar consultant. Well, fucking best laid plans and then this happens, right? It wasn't the yeah, best exactly. time to open a bar either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we started talking about things that we can do uh, just to one, keep ourselves busy right now. And two, to better the communities that we live in. So we're going to start working with uh, local companies in like Cambridge, Kitchener, Waterloo, just to kind of like promote their businesses on different platforms, like through Instagram and stuff like that. And like take a product from them and make like cocktails or different goods with it and promote it that way just to start off, uh, which I think next week or the week after we are really like, going for it basically like starting it so okay great well that's uh, i mean it's definitely something the community can use and like yeah. assuming everything gets back to normal at some point uh <laughs> yeah. wh- where do you see this business going then uh eventually like i really would like because so before i started that i started southwestern ontario bartending community oh right yeah let's talk uh, about that yeah yeah with jill sadler uh she has really helped me through that which she was on the previous podcast yeah um because a lot of people in the area in like the industry there's only so much you can do and like for me being able to learn was the most difficult thing in this like i was like who do i learn from where do i go like once you reach a certain level it's like there's was no one like above me right could like teach me so i had to like get books and go on youtube and like all of those things it's true uh and it's funny i had a conversation um with another friend of mine in the industry off air about this as well is like and she was discussing it in the form of like going to be like a master song and she was saying that she just kind of got tired of it because um it's like jack of all trades master of none after a little while and so yeah. uh, and i and i equate that to what you're talking about like for me is like i got i i've obviously have done a lot of training people in in doing like well we would hire people at white rabbit and sugar run who had never 
created cocktails in their life, yeah. right? I didn't know anything about wine and whatever. But I had to know just enough about all of those things. Sorry, we just had a little, little oh, spill right. talking with my hands. Um, that we, we had just enough, um, like I knew just enough of the small things to be able to train them on all these little different things, yeah. but not enough about one thing. Like specifically say craft cocktailing or bartending or whatever, right? So yeah, exactly. then people do end up surpassing you. And then where do you learn from it? So basically like I started learning on YouTube and all those things. And then you're like, cool, I've reached that level. And now what? So then I would like go to bars in Toronto and be like, oh, cool. Like you're doing this different. That's cool. And then now like the people at Bartender Atlas have started like Toronto Cocktail Conference which is going into, I think it's third year. Well, not this year now, obviously, but it was in the summer and like they all come together and like there's all these seminars and you can learn from, which is new for like Toronto and Ontario. And then it's, but then you come back and like I've been offered so many jobs in Toronto to like come work for us, which like, that's great. That's amazing, yeah. I can go to any, like all the different bars and stuff, get jobs, whatever, cool. But like, what does that do for this community? Which is right. like, to me, being able to learn and grow. And like one of the sommeliers at like Paul, Phyllis, she was like, you're, maybe you've learned all these things for a reason and now you're just, you should be here and like share your knowledge and like kind of like be a teacher that way. Well, I and I that- didn't want to like think about it like that because I'm like, no, I want to like keep going and growing and doing all these things and like, but I still can do that here. But now that I like, I have contacts in Toronto and like all over the world, which is great. But so now I'm like, okay, well, if I was growing up again and just started, what would I want? Which is like being able to learn things, going on distillery tours, like learning why you're making your cocktail that way. Why are you making an old fashioned with simple syrup and not a sugar cube? Sugar cube yeah. Like all, I'm like, all of the different stuff that have made my life so much easier, but it's taken me years to learn. Why can I not teach someone that so much quicker and do that? So we started doing that in January. We had a couple outings. Uh, we had our first event at Swine and Vine in Kitchener, uh, where we just kind of had a mix and mingle to get people. Like there were so many people that came out that I don't even know, like, but are like so amazing. And like, you just, because there's not that community, like in Toronto, like all of them like talk and like go to each other's bars and do all the things here. There's never really been that. So I want like those aspects and like mentorship and like growing as a community together here. Well, I think that's great that you're doing that, honestly, because you're right. Like it would have been probably your easiest move would have been accept one of these like higher profile jobs in Toronto, yeah. what have you. And, and instead you're, you're taking your knowledge and putting it back into the community, which we need here, man. Like there's like, even, there's a lot of great, there's a, there's so much potential in Kitchener Waterloo. Yeah. There's a lot of great little spots, but there are also a lot of spots that pretend to be cocktail bars with good yeah. bartenders and they're just not doing they're just not doing it right, right? Like, yeah. so, like, there's, uh, obviously there are definitely people who could use some help here. So yeah. it's just, uh, like, the limit to knowledge here and in a lot of, like, rural places is, like, so crazy to, like, 
literally drive an hour and the cocktail world be so drastically different. Right. It's like, shouldn't be that way. No. But it, but it is. So what's going to change it? I'm like, I guess I want to have a part in changing that. And I think that's really cool. But it's also a lot of freaking work. <laughs> yeah. Well, I honestly, Aaron, I'm glad you're doing it. I think you're really cool for doing it. That's uh, the community needs it. And more people, not just here in Kitchen and Waterloo, but we need more people like you all over who just put the knowledge back into the community instead of chasing the higher profile jobs at all yeah. times. Like, so, um, Hey, thanks for doing this, man. This is uh, it was really interesting to talk to you. You're a, you're an interesting guy, man. And I, and I wish you all the success going forward with A&M. Uh, you know, we at the industry podcast and me specifically at sugar run are always into helping the local community. So anything we can do to help you too, just yeah. let, let us know. And, um, and I hope to see you soon, either at Langdon Hall or Sugar Run. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks again. Oh, hold on. And if oh, yeah, anyone sorry. wants to get a hold of you on social media, what's the best way to do it? Uh, Instagram, I'm always on. So Aaron underscore Hatchell. Is, that's the best way to get a, in touch. Okay. And what about A&M? So is that for A&M, they should yeah, go there. A&M Hospitality. It's linked on my, my actual profile, too. So you can get it that way or A&M Hospitality as well. Awesome. Aaron, thanks. Great to have a conversation with you today, man. Yeah, it's great to talk. Okay. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Ciao. Bye.